Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome, friends, to Heart to Heart with Anna. This is your host, Anna Jaworski, and I'm very excited about today's show, Cora's Law and Why It's Important. This is the sixth episode of Season 1, and this show originally aired on December 19, 2013. Today's guests are Heart Moms, Kim Willis, Christine Bright McCormick, and Anna Marie Saarinen, and Indiana Senator Brett Waltz. And we will discuss pulse oximetry testing and how newborn lives can be saved with this testing. Now, let's enjoy today's show, and remember, my friends, you are not alone. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the sixth episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website on pediatric genetics, congenital heart defects account for nearly 30% of infant deaths due to birth defects. In the United States, about 7,200 or 18 per 10,000 babies born every year have critical congenital heart defects, or CCHDs. These CCHDs are coarctation of the aorta, double outlet right ventricle, detransposition of the great arteries, Epstein anomaly, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, interrupted aortic arch, pulmonary atresia with intact septum, single ventricle, total anomalous pulmonary venous connection, tetralogy of Fallot, tricuspid atresia, and truncus arteriosus. Babies with CCHDs usually require surgery or catheter intervention in the first year of life. CCHDs can potentially be detected using pulse oximetry screening, which is a test to determine the amount of oxygen in the blood and the pulse rate. Pulse oximetry screening is most likely to detect seven of the CCHDs. These seven main screening targets are hypoplastic left heart syndrome, pulmonary atresia with intact septum, tetralogy of Fallot, total anomalous pulmonary venous return, transposition of the great arteries, tricuspid atresia, and truncus arteriosus. Other heart defects can be just as severe as the main screening targets and also require treatment soon after birth. However, pulse oximetry screening may not detect these heart defects as consistently as the seven disorders listed as the main screening targets. The topic today affects me deeply. 
My son was born in 1994 with detransposition of the great arteries, single ventricle, and a score of other congenital heart defects. Yet he was sent home from the hospital and from newborn follow-up every other day for the first 10 days of his life with a clean bill of health. We didn't know about my son's heart defects at the time, but my husband and I knew something was wrong, and we kept taking him back to the hospital. By the time our son's CCHDs were identified, he was in congestive heart failure and very well could have died. If a simple pulse oximetry test would have been performed on him, he probably wouldn't have gone into congestive heart failure, and perhaps the doctors wouldn't have recommended we take our son home to die. That is why our topic today is Cora's Law and why it's so important. To discuss this topic, our guests today are Christine McCormick, Kim Willis, Anna Marie Saarinen, and Senator Brent Waltz. Christine McCormick states that within weeks of her daughter's death, her role became clear. She would speak for babies without a voice. She would help their mamas. Christine has been a proud advocate of newborn health since 2009. Her focus has largely been on newborn heart screening or pulse oximetry. She successfully advocated for legislation in her home state of Indiana, which made pulse oximetry law in April 2011. She has helped other parents in other states work to make pulse oximetry the standard of care practice in their states, as well as through her grassroots organization, Pulse Ox Advocacy. Christine's current interests are screening for congenital heart defects before and shortly after birth, newborn screening, and any issue that affects the health of infants from conception through the first year of life. Kim Willis is a 32-year-old mother of three little ones. She currently works full-time as a sales assistant to a financial advisor. Her children are her life, Brooklyn, nine, Ethan, seven, and Caden, 17 months, who also has hypoplastic left heart syndrome. They live in Indiana. Kim had no idea of what congenital heart defects were or that they even existed until June 15, 2012. Caden was born June 14, 2012. He seemed very healthy, and the first 24 hours were normal. Kim inquired a few times about his cold blue feet, but was assured that that was normal for newborns. It had been five years since she had had a newborn, so she accepted their answer. They were set to go home about noon, but then it was required for pulse oximetry screening to occur, and their plans changed. Because of the results of that test, the doctors realized something was wrong. That one test changed everyone's lives in Kim's family. We will meet Anna Marie Saarinen, mother to a daughter with a congenital heart defect, and Indiana Senator Brent Walsh later in our show. Thank you, Christine and Kim, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having us. Okay, good. So welcome to the show. Christine, I was wondering if you could tell us about Cora and how her life and death have changed your life. Thank you. And I just want to start before I get into Cora's story by again thanking you so much for doing this program and for doing the show and all the shows you've done for the congenital heart defect community. It's a great resource. So I'll dive into Cora's story now. It's We're in the anniversary time now, so it's, it's a pretty hard time because Cora was born on November 30th, 2009, and I'd had an extremely healthy, normal pregnancy, and I had a normal labor and delivery. Everything was great. Every doctor's appointment, which is a few moments, which is always a good thing when you're pregnant, you know that everything's going good. And so I gave birth to her, fast forward to November 30th, 2009, and she came out crying and screaming and looked perfect. And if you've seen her picture, in which I think a lot of people listening probably have, she just looked a picture of good health. She was a big baby. She was nearly nine pounds. 
And the nurses and the doctors all gave her a clean bill of health in the hospital. And we were able to go home at 48 hours just after the newborn screening, which, of course, at the time didn't include newborn heart screening in Indiana was over. That's kind of normal where we're from. So we took her home and bundled her up on a cold December day. And for the next few days, just enjoyed having our newborn. And she she was great. Everything was perfectly abnormal as it is after you have a newborn, lots of late nights and little sleep. And then one morning I sat down to nurse her like I had before. My husband had been up with her. One thing I think is really sweet about Cora's life is she didn't spend any time alone because when I was asleep, my husband was up with her. And I started to nurse her and he jumped in the shower really quick and everything was fine. He got out of the shower and he walked over and I, I remember him stroking her cheek and saying something like, she's so cute. And then he began to walk back to the chair that was just a few steps away. And I just looked up just like you might look up when somebody's walking across the room, you know, just a few seconds. My eyes were diverted and I remember telling him that I loved him and I think he said, I love you too. And then I looked back down and and just couldn't quite register what I was seeing because the newborn that had been so healthy and was given a clean bill of health was limp in my arms and not breathing and a sickly gray collar. And it just didn't register right away in my mind, but it was a matter of seconds that it did. And I jumped up and told my husband to call 911, and I just remember him saying, what? You know, cause he had just touched her, too, and, and saw that she was fine. And so, of course, he did spring into action 911, but we eventually threw the phone across the hall and ran out to our car because we lived in a small town called Decatur, Indiana at the time, and we were just about five minutes away from the hospital. So we just jumped in the car. The car was frosted over, so to see, he put his head out the window to drive all the way to the hospital, and we got her there within definitely under 10 minutes from when she stopped breathing, but probably more like five. And despite their best efforts, Cora was dead, and I had no idea why. Of course, I blamed myself. She'd been in my arms. So I just kept on screaming, what did I do? And the doctor just gave me a funny look like, we don't know what you did. Like, what's going on? And then actually, after they figured out that I was just like, "What, what could have gone wrong? What did I do wrong? They were really compassionate and the coroner came over and we had to walk through everything and then I you know I was bawling as I'm walking through this scene just hours after it happened and she called me a couple days later with the preliminary results of an autopsy of course it takes quite a few months to get the official autopsy but I was so distraught she wanted to give me some kind of an answer and she said that it was congenital heart disease and I remember hanging up the phone and rushing over to tell my husband, and just, this sounds weird, but I was actually not happy, but I was just a little relieved that we had an answer. I thought we would never have an answer or that it would be something that I did, and I didn't know how I could live with myself like that. And he was the first one like, well, well, what's that? And I hadn't even thought about it. I just thought, oh, okay, something went wrong with her heart. And we pulled out a dictionary. There were no answers there. And then I took to online to figure it out, and I found this whole new world. That's the first time I remember hearing that phrase was from the coroner. I threw my pregnancy, I dealt, of course, like many new moms, I read everything I could get my hands on. That's how I dealt with being a new mom. I wanted to know all the information, everything that could go wrong or might go wrong or that I needed to do and never came across it. And then from there, within days, Anna Marie, who you'll hear from later, actually contacted me and was the first person who told me about pulse oximetry screening and how it could have saved Cora. She was already working really hard to make it standard across the country, and now I think she's working across the world, so she's been a great advocate. But I heard from her within days of Cora's death, and everything has just kind of grown from there. I just could not imagine this happening to another mom. I just couldn't live with the thought that this could happen to another mom and another baby. I totally understand. I'm so sorry for your loss, but I admire you for doing everything that you are doing to keep Cora's story alive and to make her life and her death 
meaningful. I think that's one of the problems most of my bereaved friends have is that when they lose a child, they're afraid everybody's going to forget about that child and that that child's life had no meaning. But you are doing so much to make Cora a meaningful person. Right. And what I always say, a mother's biggest instinct is to make sure your child is as healthy. And in this community, I know we're limited and healthy as a new kind of normal, but as healthy and happy as you can. And when your child passes away, it's your mission to make sure your child is never forgotten and that your child lives on and makes a difference in whatever you chose to do. And I think everybody has a different path and a different route and whatever you do, whether it's just a Christmas holding a toy drive, something I think is really meaningful and really healing to anyone that's lost a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you certainly have done a lot to make us all aware of the pulse oximetry screening. And we have Kim on with us right now. And Kim, can you tell us what role you feel Cora's Law played in saving your son's life? I feel that Cora's Law had a major role in saving Caden's life. I also had a very healthy, active pregnancy. I had two sonograms during my pregnancy. And this was actually my third pregnancy. So I had read lots of books and had already had two other children, and I had no idea what congenital heart disease was until June 15th when he went down for his newborn screening, and he didn't pass the pulse ox. He had a 30% difference between his hand and his foot. So before I knew anything, they had already done an echo and sent it to St. Vincent, but there's not a day that goes by that we're not thankful for all of her work and Cora's law because our story could have very well been different if it wasn't for that. Absolutely. Did it seem surreal to you that Kate actually had a major heart defect considering you had two healthy children and that it seemed he was normal after birth? Yes, very, very. It was unbelievable to me. I remember everything was a blur in the NICU that day. By the time I seen him, they had already started him on IVs and I had no idea that there was anything wrong with him. He seemed so healthy. He was nine pounds, four ounces, and he had no distress after birth. I had already taken care of him for the first 24 hours. And I remember after the transport team left with him to take him to Indianapolis, we went home to gather a couple of our things because we had no idea if it was going to be like a week for us to stay up there or a month. I remember begging my niece to let me take the car seat because I was convinced that this wasn't really happening and that once we got up there, they would assure me that he was fine and we would get to take him home. But he was up there for six weeks after his first surgery. Wow. That's quite a change for you to think that you're taking a healthy baby home and then all of a sudden to be whisked away to another hospital and then not to come home for six weeks. Well, can you tell us how Caden is doing now? Caden is terrific. He is almost 18 months, so he is walking and climbing into everything. Everybody always tells us they would have no idea if we wouldn't tell them about his health problems. He looks perfectly fine. He's a big baby. He's 24 pounds, so he is just doing excellent. Yeah, what a big healthy boy. That's awesome. I'm sure that helped him recover from the Norwood as well as he did too, because they like to have the babies big and healthy. It's much harder when they're Sized. Yeah, I think at St. Vincent, he was the biggest baby that they had ever did the Norwood operation on. <laughs> wow. So have you met Christine before? No, not in person. I've talked to her several times. We've been at the same events, I believe, like the Heart Walk. I've never actually personally met her. Well, now you get to meet her on the radio. <laughs> yes, and we are thank you for everything you do. There's not a day that goes by that we do not think about you and Cora. Oh, thank you so much. And 
just going to cry, so I'm going to stop talking. But this is why. I mean, I, I do what I do so Cora lives on, but ultimately I do what I do because I just can't imagine you not having Caden. And the first baby that I ever knew of saved, it was a month to the day the ball went in effect, and I, I got the chance to hold him and just couldn't take my eyes off of him knowing that he was here. And I'm just so glad that things worked out so well for you and for Caden and for your entire family. Yes, thank you so much. We are very thankful. Well, I knew we were all going to cry during this episode. But... <laughs> I know. I had, definitely had tears in my eyes as Kim was talking. It's amazing what one little girl has been able to help do as far as bringing awareness to this topic. I want to thank you so much, Christine and Kim, for sharing your story and for helping us to see why Cora's Law is so important and how it's affected your lives. Now it's time for a commercial break, but don't leave yet. Coming up, we have another mother of a child with a congenital heart defect. Find out how this mom on a mission started a campaign that would be picked up all across the United States. Find out how and why she did it when we return to Heart to Heart with Dana. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. show Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with Christine McCormick, Kim Wallace, Anna Marie Sauronen, and Indiana Senator Brent Waltz. We just finished talking with Christine McCormick and Kim Wallace about how Cora's Law came to be and how it has already saved the life of Kim's youngest child, Caden. Now we will turn our attention to Anna Marie Sauronen. Late on a cold December Minnesota night in 2009, Anna Marie stumbled across a blog post asking for readers to wear pink in honor of a little girl named Cora. She snatched her baby out of her crib and took a photo of her. She had stumbled across the blog while searching for other families dealing with congenital heart defects. Her daughter had been born just six months prior, and Anna Marie's experience of discovering her daughter's heart defect after birth 
transformed her into an advocate for families whose babies were not diagnosed in utero. She read about a screening method for newborn heart defects and decided to help coordinate a pilot program for pulse oximetry screening of newborns at University of Minnesota and Platts Children's Hospital. She sent Christine a photo and a note about her newborn screening plan, and she continued telling Christine about how important Cora's story was and how hard she was working to prevent other families from experiencing Cora's fate. We'll meet Indiana Senator Brent Walls in our next segment. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Marie. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show. It seems to me that your experience was very similar to Christine's and Kim's and that your daughter's heart defect was not diagnosed in utero. Can you tell us about your daughter's birth and what transpired until the point of her diagnosis? Sure. It is fairly similar in that I had a rather uneventful pregnancy. Things went very well. I was sort of a high-risk mother. That might be a little bit different because I was 40 years old. So I had had several level two ultrasounds, which mean they're special ultrasounds that take a very close look at the heart around the 20-week period, but one slightly later, one slightly earlier. And of course, given all the assurances that everything checked out and looked great. So we had a beautiful little girl that we were ready to bring home on the third day. And the rounding pediatrician had heard a murmur on day two that we were sort of given some reassurances that they were very common in newborns. And indeed, they are very common in newborns. It's part of the transitional circulation that babies have from coming out of the tummy and breathing air. But Checking that at the one-week well visit was sort of the standard protocol, and that's what we were aiming to do. But as it turns out, there was an echo cart, so a large echocardiogram machine that's brought between hospitals, between the community hospitals where I live and the larger academic health center in Minneapolis that had been at that community hospital earlier that day to evaluate another baby, so to do an echocardiogram on another baby, and the pediatrician had heard about that. So just as a precaution, she thought, oh, well... It's here. The tech is here. Let's have a quick look at this little baby. And that way I can go home with peace of mind and we're all good. And that's sort of how we went into the echo with her. And an hour later, there was a cardiologist standing in our doorway telling us that our baby was in profound heart failure and needed to be moved to an ICU immediately. Wow. Wow. So everything seemed to happen so fast. What was her diagnosis? Well, in those first hours, the best diagnosis we could get is heart failure. I mean, they didn't know specifically why she was in heart failure. They just knew there was something not working right. The blood was flowing between the two chambers, upper and lower chamber, the way it shouldn't be. And her heart was by x-ray about three times the size it should have been. So we're talking about six pound, nine ounce baby. She was a little bit smaller than my other children. And that heart is about the size of a walnut, maybe even slightly smaller than that. So it's very tiny. But seeing how much of her chest cavity that it was taking up even at 48 hours when they took the x-ray was startling. I still have the x-ray to this day and it's a shocking thing to look at when I put it in presentations and such. But it would take many days actually in the NICU before we got a formal diagnosis, even after that kept evolving a little bit. Ultimately, what it ended up being was severe mitral valve regurgitation, which means she had a defective mitral valve. It wouldn't open and close properly. So that's why that blood kept flowing kind of loosely between the upper and lower chamber. And then she, at one week old, was diagnosed with something called Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which causes sort of spontaneous tachycardia. So it's the same as an adult. You say tachycardia is when the heart rate is very elevated. In a baby, they call it SVT, 
and supraventricular tachycardia, where the heart rate will just jump from what's a normal rhythm to about 300 beats a minute, so almost like a hummingbird, and they'll need to shock it back into rhythm. So at its worst, that was happening about 24 times a day, and that was obviously making her defective mitral valve even worse of a situation than it might have been without it. But either way, she would have been dead within days of being discharged from the hospital. Wow. So did she have surgery within days of birth instead? She did not. We were very prepared to do that, however. After she was transported to the first hospital, which had the neonatal intensive care unit, at the point at which that tachycardia kicked in, they transferred us across the river at the time to what was the children's hospital. We now have it all on one campus here. That happened about a year after Eve's experience. But back then, we had to move her a second time, which was also really a difficult transport, even though it was only 15 minutes away. She started having seizures. I mean, just prepping these tiny babies for transport is a very difficult thing, which is why one of the pieces of what I work on is so much into early detection and the right detection so that you can reduce unnecessary transports but ensure that babies are brought where they need to go on the first pass at other instances. So, But in this case, we were being moved so that she could be very near the surgeon, which was important at that time because she may not have made it through that weekend. So unfortunately, she did, and we were able to keep her heart functioning on a cocktail of about nine different medications for about a two-month period before those started just not being effective anymore, and we knew we needed to get her on the surgical calendar. So at about three and a half months of age then, she had the first surgery for ablating that electrical pathway that was causing the arrhythmia, and then five days later had her open heart surgery at three and a half months old. So is it Eve that you took the picture of when you read about Cora wanting for people to wear pink? Yes, yes, of course. She was already in bed. It was quite late that night. And I remember going upstairs to grab her out of her crib, and which normally <laughs> I would never do as wake a sleeping baby. But I felt really compelled to show my support for Christine and recognize her loss it's just so profound that because this is a preventable loss and I couldn't imagine what she was going through. And we didn't know that four years ago that that would start a long friendship and an alliance working on this important issue. I have so much respect for her. Well, Eve looked absolutely beautiful in that photo. You did a wonderful job. Did you have any idea that that photo would become like Cora's voice? (laughs) Well, it certainly hasn't to the degree that beautiful pink ribbon photo of Cora has. But between Christine and I every year, we commemorate the start of our friendship and our work, I think, with that photo. And of course, I had no idea. And there were many, many photos being posted at that time to support what would become a local, national and now international effort to ensure that no baby leaves the hospital with undiagnosed heart disease and that no mother finds out about a congenital heart defect from the coroner the way Christine did. Well, I totally commend you on everything that you're doing. It looked like you were working on this kind of activity even before you found out about Cora. Is that true? Oh, yes. We started just a couple of months after Eve's surgery. So in the summer of 2009, our pilot team was being put together with the hospital, so the clinicians there, and then the Minnesota Department of Health. So it was the first pilot ever launched in conjunction with the State Department of Health to explore this as a population health screening tool. So to start gathering data, probing efficacy around the screening. And we were just kind of in the starting movements of that. And probably about a month before I met Christine is when I 
presented to the State Department of Health and met the person who served on the Federal Advisory Committee to the Secretary of Health and Human Services that recommends all newborn screenings. And we got the sort of ball in motion to make a nomination, which happened in January of 2010, to add congenital heart disease to the panel of which all newborns are screened. Well, thank you for being such a strong advocate for that movement. I know that when I saw how pulse oximetry could have possibly prevented Alex from going into congestive heart failure, I was amazed that a simple, inexpensive test like that could have been done on him and prevented him from having his heart completely fill his chest, just like it sounds like Eve did. And so I started to lobby in Texas as well. And luckily for us, just like Indiana, Texas also now has a law to have newborns in Texas screened. So I commend you. I hope we can make this a federal law, but isn't it exciting to think we could go international with this? Yeah, it's been really exciting. I mean, in the U.S., our process is a little bit different. We have these federal recommendations and then still require state-by-state implementation. So it's a lot of work, but by policy standards, it's really moving quite quickly. I mean, by the middle of this year, you should know that we'll have jumped from 30% of the newborns in this country being screened to well over 75%. And the remaining 25% That'll happen. It's it's just it. Sometimes it takes another year. Sometimes it takes twenty four months. But in terms of a full scale implementation, it's gone pretty quickly. And then understanding globally that just in the time that we've been talking this hour, that one hundred and fifty more babies are being born with congenital heart disease. And the earlier we can detect that disease and help them, the better their outcome. So it truly is a movement that has a lot of strength behind it. And and thanks to a bunch of people working together, yourself included, good things are happening. Well, thank you so much, Anna Marie. It's been quite an experience just listening to you and what you went through with Eve, but also how you've turned around, befriended Christine and how you're keeping Cora's story alive with the work that you're doing. I want to thank you so much for coming on this show and for sharing your experiences. And unfortunately, it's time for us to stop and take a break for a commercial. But don't go far. Stay tuned because you'll find out how one little baby affected a senator's heart and how he not only became an advocate for newborn screening, but how he also put a name to a new law that has a chance to save countless lives when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever.
You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at Heart to Heart with Anna.com. That's Anna at Heart to Heart with Anna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. To our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we are talking with Christine McCormick, Kim Wallace, Anna Marie Saruman, and Indiana Senator Brent Waltz. We've heard the stories of three mothers who have experienced what it's like to have a child born expecting a perfectly healthy baby, only to be told otherwise. In Christine's case, the news came after an autopsy. Kim and Anna Marie's children were spared Cora's fate when their birth defects were revealed in time for the babies to have life-saving heart surgery. Now we'll meet a man who doesn't have a child with a heart defect, but who has a heart of gold himself. Brent Waltz is an Indiana State Senator and Indianapolis businessman. He represents Southern Marion County and Northern Johnson County, which comprise the 36th Senate District of Indiana, following his defeat of Senate Finance Chairman Larry Bortz in a 2004 Republican primary election. His investment banking company, the Barron Group, Inc., specializes in mergers, acquisitions, and capitalization of small to mid-sized private companies in the transportation and manufacturing industries. Senator Walsh achieved one of the greatest upsets in Indiana political history when he defeated 36-year incumbent and Senate Finance Chairman Larry Bortz. Bortz was one of the most powerful Indiana politicians of the 21st century. Senator Walsh defeated Bortz by 38 votes in the 2004 Republican primary and then easily defeated his Democratic opponent in the November 2004 election and was re-elected to a second term in 2008. Subsequently, in 2012, he won re-election for a third term. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Senator Waltz. Anna, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. It's definitely my honor to have all of you on today. Can you tell us how you first found out about Cora's story and why it seemed to touch you? Absolutely. And I give Christine all the credit for everything that has happened over these last few years when it comes to the Indiana legislation that was passed. I receive hundreds of letters over the course of a year from constituents, and they range from the mundane to, you know, fairly controversial topics from time to time. But I don't remember ever receiving a letter that really touched me in the same way that Christine's did. In this letter, she recounted the death of her daughter, Cora. And the death of a child under any circumstances is tragic. And I would think that many people who are faced with that type of situation would be so devastated and so racked with grief that they would just draw upon themselves and turn inward. Christine did just the opposite. She looked out and thought that this was something that needed to happen, pulse oximetry screening that would protect the lives of hundreds, if not thousands, of Hoosier children who might otherwise be placed at risk and die in the years ahead. And she did not want Cora's loss to be in vain. So she advocated both with me, which obviously I agreed to immediately, and then with other lawmakers in both the House and the Senate of the state of Indiana. And we got this law passed, Cora's law. And what this essentially does is mandate pulse oximetry screening occur for all newborns born in the state of Indiana. It's a very inexpensive test and, of course, saves lives. And I've calculated somewhere between 30 to 50 Hoosiers are alive today as a result of Christine's efforts. And to have played a small role in making that happen is certainly my greatest legislative achievement. It's just an honor to have played a small role in this process. Well, it's amazing to me that you can already calculate the number of lives that have been saved by this law. That must make 
feels so good because I'm sure as a lawmaker, a lot of times you're putting into law sausage day or you know, oh yeah i mean uh one of these things where someone thinks that someone's taxes are not high enough or someone thinks their taxes are too high or there needs to be a law governing trash pickup things of this sort i'm not saying those issues aren't important because they are but they pale in comparison to life and death situations like the one cora faced and christine faced and dozens of hoosiers face every day we had a situation actually as we were starting to lobby for this issue we had a senator ron grooms from southern indiana whose grandchild actually had a heart defect he's a pharmacist and the child had been home maybe three to four weeks and was just not behaving normally and his medical profession and training taught him to take the child to the emergency room which the defect was able to be quickly identified but had he not had that medical background had he not been a pharmacist certainly he says it could very easily have been missed and his own grandchild could have died with that and so now we're fixing that in indiana and i'm grateful that other states are taking up this fight as well and we're making great progress nationally on this important issue Indeed we are, and it's thanks to people like you who are stepping up and letting people know how important this is. So what role do you think parents play in persuading their lawmakers to create laws for our smallest and voiceless citizens? Well, I don't have a medical background, and so prior to studying this issue, I would not have known what pulse oximetry was. And so education becomes very important. I would not have taken up this fight really out of ignorance more than anything else had Christine not taken the time to educate me on the importance of this issue and sharing with me her story and the fact that it would impact dozens, hundreds of Hoosiers in the months and years after she shared her, her tragedy and the fact that she was able to take this tragic situation of her family and turn it into a triumph is really a testament to her strength. I give her all the credit for her leadership on this important issue. Well, I think it's important for us parents to know that when we send letters to our lawmakers, they actually get read. I'm so impressed that this letter personally touched you. You know, when you win by 38 votes, which was my margin, 6,062 to 6,024, who keeps track of those things, right? But uh, I learned very early on that every vote counts, every citizen counts. And that experience, as challenging as it was from a political context, of course, is not even worth mentioning in comparison to the struggles that Christine and her family obviously undertook. But it did teach me that people are important and the will of your constituency is vital, not only to be able to do an effective job as a lawmaker, but also to make sure that tragedies that could happen do not happen. And so I'm just grateful for having had this story shared with me and being in a position to actually do something about it. Well, I want to thank you for what you have done, for being a champion for this cause. It's not a federal law yet. And as we heard from Anna Marie, this is something that has to be done at each state level. I'm lucky I live in a state where that has already occurred. But what can our parents who live in states or countries that don't have this as a law yet, what do you recommend they do so that their area hospitals will also be testing for heart defects right after babies are born? I would recommend doing exactly what Christine did. Call your congressman, call your senator, call your state senator, call your state representative, call your governor. Share your stories, share your concerns. This is a very simple test. 
it costs essentially the price of some medical tape wrapped around a child's finger. It's a few dollars and will save and has saved lives, many lives. And obviously, the more states do this, the more babies that have access to this test, the more lives it will be saved. And so being able to contact your lawmakers, express your interest, your concern, share the success stories about children who are alive today as a result of brave men and women having educated lawmakers in the years past and taking up that fight for the years in the future. That's wonderful advice. Thank you for empowering our community with your tremendous words. I really appreciate that. And thank well, you thank for being you. Senator Waltz. I, I do appreciate you giving us your time today. Well, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, now it's time for another commercial break, but don't leave yet. It's almost time for our miracle moment when we return. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. I want to take another moment to thank my guests today, Christine McCormick, Kim Willis, Anna Marie Saarinen, and Senator Brent Waltz. This is a very emotional topic, as many of you experienced as you were listening to this. I think many of us had tears in our eyes, knowing that families could lose children. But it's even more important to realize that children can be saved thanks to this one simple test, the pulse oximetry test. And Senator Walsh just told us all how we can make it happen in our communities. We need to write. We need to call. We need to stand up and speak out for those babies who can't speak out for themselves, and it can be done. So now for our miracle moment. Today's miracle moment comes from an internet website, Yahoo Health. This Day in Health article was written by Lisa collier Cool and was published on October 15, 2013. She writes, 24 hours after Cole Anthony was born in a Seattle, Washington hospital, a $6 newborn screening test revealed that the seemingly healthy baby boy had a potentially fatal heart defect. Cole was rushed to the neonatal intensive care unit for treatment where doctors advised open heart surgery. During the anxious days before the operation, his mom, Rochelle, wrote in her blog, I often sit in silence with Cole studying every breath he breathes, every hair on his head. I try to imprint in my mind every frown and smile he makes. Adds Rochelle, I sometimes rush to his crib in the middle of the night to see if he is breathing, terrified to find him lifeless. 
Although the adorable baby boy, now five months old, is doing well after the operation, the fear of losing him will never go away, says his mom. In 17 states, Cole might have missed out on that newborn screening test known as pulse oximetry or pulse ox, which is not legally required in those states, even though it's been recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Heart Association, and U.S. Health and Human Services since 2011. I thank God every day he wakes up and I see his precious face, Rochelle says. I also thank God for the pulse ox screening that saved my baby's life and has given him a chance to live and be repaired. Although Cole still has episodes in which his skin temporarily turns purple and dusky, he's otherwise thriving. She adds, my little man is a fighter. The screening, which is on the government's recommended panel of newborn tests, adds $6.28 to the cost of newborn care, according to a 2012 study published in Pediatrics, and checks for congenital heart defects, the most common birth defect in infants. The test involves wrapping an adhesive strip similar to a Band-Aid attached to a sensor around a baby's hand or foot to measure the percent of oxygen in the blood. A below normal level can be a warning sign of a heart defect, says Dr. Ian R. Holzman, chief of newborn medicine at the Mount Sinai Medical Center. Maybe as many as 40% of babies with critical congenital heart disease are not detected during the first days after birth when they are undergoing normal testing in the newborn nursery. Dr. Gerard Martin, a pediatric cardiologist with the Center for Heart, Lung, and Kidney Disease at Children's National Medical Center, told WTOP News. The pediatric study estimates that universal screening would identify an additional 1,189 American babies with this potentially life-threatening condition and prevent 20 deaths a year. Babies with critical congenital heart disease, or CCHD, typically appear healthy during a few days or even weeks of their lives. Without early detection and treatment, says Dr. Holzman, a week or two after birth, babies with CCHD typically turn blue and develop such symptoms as rapid breathing or being unable to breathe and swallow at the same time during feedings. That's when they are rushed back to the hospital. By then, however, the baby has often suffered brain or heart damage, making treatment more difficult, adds Dr. Holzman. If this condition isn't caught and treated within the first week of life, these babies are often at risk for serious lifelong complications or may not survive. While prenatal ultrasounds can often detect this condition, Rochelle reports that she had several during her pregnancy and was always told that her son was fine. Cole was also given a clean bill of health after his birth, adds the mom, who was signing hospital discharge papers on May 18th, the day after Cole was born, when he had the screenings as a precaution before going home, as required by law in her home state of Washington. Although pulse ox screening isn't legally required in New York, where Dr. Holzman practices, earlier this year, Mount Sinai started giving every newborn the test at no extra cost. The adhesive strip costs less than a dollar, and the screening only takes 10 minutes of a nurse's time, so it's an extremely cost-effective and accurate test. Every hospital in America has the right technology to do pulse ox screening, whether it's commonly used to check babies who do have symptoms, adds Dr. Holzman, who recommends that parents ask for the screening if it's not offered as part of the routine newborn wellness check at the hospital where their baby is born. The only downside of the test is that in less than 1% of cases, the test may have an abnormal result when a baby is actually healthy. That could mean that the infant would undergo additional testing, such as heart echocardiogram, needlessly. In addition, the test, while very accurate, can miss some heart defects. Every year, about 7,200 American babies are born with CCHD, 
and about 300 of them are sent home from the hospital undiagnosed, the CDC reports. Screening should be done when the baby is 24 to 48 hours old or shortly before the baby is discharged from the newborn nursery if he or she goes home before reaching 24 hours of age. Given the potential to save lives or prevent debilitating heart or brain damage through early detection of dangerous heart problems through a $6 non-invasive screening test followed by appropriate treatment, Dr. Holzman says the benefits far outweigh the slight possibility of a false alarm. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. I hope you all will contact your lawmakers. You can see that Christine made a difference by contacting her senator, and I believe that all of us have the power to do that as well. I hope you'll come back next week when our show will be called Snowflakes, How Each Heart is Unique. And until then, please find and like us on Facebook, check out our website, Heart to Heart with Anna, and remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Music.